This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined today from Dunedin by Adam Curry, who is a climate justice activist. Cura Adam. Cura Sam. Where are you, Adam? Um, I'm just in Dunedin. Beautiful day at the moment over here. Yesterday was a bit crazy, but no, it's beautiful. Beautiful day here. And beautiful Otipoli Dunedin. And I'm not. I'm gonna. It's gonna take me a while to get used to saying this because how was your lockdown last year? How was the first lockdown? Um, yeah, I found I found it very interesting because uh, I was in in Banks Peninsula actually last year. Um, for lockdown, so we we actually couldn't couldn't really get to food. We we ate a lot of um you know seaweed seaweed crisps and things for food, but um yeah, I thought it was interesting last year. Um, it was obviously a long time, and it was quite interesting. Like I guess the way we we had our relationship with our neighbours because we you know we went from not really knowing our neighbours at all, right? Because you're busy and going about and doing things to actually you know like the neighbours would would you know play the music for us or we'd wave to them or put signs <laughs> to the windows and things, you know. And it was almost a bit sad when lockdown finished because you think you'd go in and treat yourself, you know, properly and, and hang out properly, but you didn't really. You sort of got back into normal life, which was a shame. But yeah, it, it was weird that moment just at the just before the end of lockdown last year, when it was all sort of nice and peaceful. I remember that we were going for a walk down the middle of the road and thinking, tomorrow we're going to rush around being busy again. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll hang yeah. on to that. And of course, we didn't hang on to that. And there's another thing that we didn't hang on to is maybe we didn't maintain some of those community connections that we built yeah i think i think it depends on the people but i think you're often i think you know it's a time thing right and i think the more time you know the more time you have the better people are at building cleanies because when you have more time you know you do some gardening and you you look after each other and you talk to your neighbors and that sort of stuff where whereas you know in the society where you're working five hour weeks and looking after kids and maybe having a second job or whatever you know you don't have that time to build those community relationships um which is a real shame so how was it going into lockdown this year? Um, yeah, a bit different, I guess. It wasn't so much expected, I guess. Um, but yeah, it was good. It was it was good again, quite different. It was nice being able to go go for a run from where I was, which was nice and stuff. But yeah, no, it was good. And were you? What were you doing in lockdown? Were you working? Um, yes, yeah, so I was. I was quite busy actually because I was working. I was working full time for Doc. Um, and so yeah, I was very busy doing that, plus a bunch of other work as well. So it's quite hard, to, and there was no like you know location where I could sit there and I don't know, um, you know, do my own, do my own thing. I guess work done. You're always you know busy with lots of people all the time. But it was nice to be able to sit outside in the sun and do work. Luckily, the computer screen was bright enough, so you could sit outside and you know get to do Zoom calls in the sun. Everyone's on the Zoom looking a bit jealous. But so, what sort yeah. of work do you what sort of work do you do? Um, I'm like a I do like I'm like a climate like climate advisor slash like. Um, I think the job description is research technician. So I'm working on like building social license for um, emissions reductions, like in docks. So, for example, you know, things like flying firewood into huts or flying toilets out of huts or, you know, docks, you know, using diesel cars everywhere and, look, and like also people right, driving all the way to dock tracks looking into like stopping people driving for example in you know mount cook all the way and actually having like a, some sort of bus system you know to try and reduce those emissions there and what are the public perceptions of it so, that, so yeah so it's mainly like public perceptions of climate action is my focus because that's always the problem with anybody doing anything environmental type work you put all put years of work into organizing a conference and then the caterer turns up with plastic cups and yeah. you know that's what the conference is remembered for so so doc must be yeah, in a exactly. similar kind of position 
Yeah, yeah, in, in, in a way, yeah. Obviously, it's, it's at the beginning of a big journey, and it's yeah, it's about I guess pushing, pushing organization, pushing us to to go further because we know it's you know it's so urgent. We know we need to transform everything we do, and I think lockdown's shown that. It's shown how much we can transform everything. It's shown lockdown's shown you know how how much we can change our society if we really want to, and if we want to do the same thing with emission reductions, you know, it's hundred percent possible. It's just you know, about, the only boundaries are the limits of our imagination, right? We've been asking people that. We've been asking people about what we can learn from the lockdown and the pandemic response for those bigger sorts of questions, things like climate, but also social justice, biodiversity collapse. Do you think we can learn stuff from the from our response? Yeah, I think massive. I think <clears throat> it's shown how much we can, you know, how much we can shift, how much we can change if we put our minds to it. I think it's, you know, shown that the... Um, there's, you know, what's that quote about there's no there's no neoliberals in the pandemic, right? So there's no, you know, we can talk about austerity and government spending and all that stuff, but when there's a need for it, you know, there's no no holds barred when it gets down to it. And it's also shown, I guess, the response to COVID-19 and how it can leave, you know, vulnerable communities behind, right? So it's shown that, you know, if we do respond to it in a way that's not equitable and that doesn't give Marian-Pacific folks, you know, vaccinations and the same health service and all those things, then, you know, some of our communities get left behind. I always think it's interesting with climate change. I think often we talk about, and it relates to this, I think oh, we talk about, you know, there's climate change is either action or inaction, right? It's either doing good or doing nothing. But there's two responses to climate change, right? One is, you know, changing our world like we did for COVID and, and a, you know, clearer, fairer, fairer society where everyone can, you know, have a better world and, you know, cleaner and all that stuff. But the other response is what you're seeing is, you know, some European countries, which is where, um, you know, they're isolating and shutting themselves off and building their own mansions and holding down, you know, and, and, and kicking out all the refugees. So there are different responses. And I guess it shows, I guess, if anything, COVID shown that the response to the climate must not repeat the mistakes and be actually equitable and be fair for everyone, because, you know, that's a far better world we want to live in than the one where it's shut down and borders and, you know, me, 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 me. Yeah, brings to mind that old cartoon about the, um, the, what if we were, what if, if we saved the world for nothing? We made we built a better yeah, place, exactly. but it took, yeah, it's, it's that. I can't remember the details of it, but it's that one, isn't it? It's totally. It's that, you know, it's exactly that. It's you know, if we, you know, there's so many benefits to climate action. It's clear, it's clear, you know, fairer communities, more, you know, more justice. You know, stopping tracking people in prisons. And, you know, have shown how the response is either a fair one or a less fair one, and you know, and you know, in some places in in, in you know COVID. Um, you know, Pacifica and Murray communities have been left behind, but the climate response doesn't have to be that way, right? You know, as you just said, um, there's, um, you know, that, that there's that famous graph of, you know, what if what if we create a better, better world for nothing and climate action and, you know, local communities and looking after each other and doing gardening and getting to know each other and, you know, feeling like people have influence, right? You have a say in how your lives are controlled and all those things that we know, you know, the benefits that come with climate action. I think the COVID-19 has shown us that, that you know we can change everything, and that and we can change everything in a you know fairer, better way for everyone. That doesn't have to be a you know lockdown and the whole. As what's that quote? That's like so. Our uh, physical distancing, not social distancing, right? So about like ultimately, I think COVID's shown that you know we can lock down and we can do some and do all that stuff in a fair, equitable way that builds communities. Because the best climate tool there is is building communities and you know having relationships and getting to know each other. Because the I guess the system, you know, we, we the system works and carbon emissions works off, you know, me being competition for you, right? Competition for grades or for jobs or for cheap things in the supermarket or for toilet paper when we're running out of it during COVID or whatever. Whereas, and if we actually come together and we, it's that, you know, graph where you see the big fish chasing all the little fish, right? And the little fish turn around and make a big fish out of the little fish and they chase away the big fish. So it's like, I think it's that people power thing. I think ultimately... <laughs> COVID and everything has shown that when there is people power and there is mandate, um, you know, the corporations and the governments all fall into line. Um, yeah. Let's take Anika Moa's version of Pureyane. Why this one? Um, oh, yeah, that's why to actually the late um, Michael, my green grand, Jennifer Simons always sung. And we also, I used to, I did some work at Outward Bound recently, and that was our Outward Bound Wyatt. So I think it's a really special Wyatt to do a lot of us and um, to a lot of my, my um, whanau as well. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a 
between the climate and the pandemic is that we were able to say with the pandemic we need to do this by Tuesday and we can turn the whole country around and off to a large extent by Tuesday. We've never managed to pull off that urgency with the climate even though we've had like in the middle of this last lockdown the IPCC report came out that pretty much said this is an emergency now and it got like a day's worth of headlines and then we moved on. Why do you think it's not sticking? I think it's because the you know I think we're wired to respond to fast crises, right? You know when, when we know a pandemic's coming, we're about to get sick. We can see it; it's really physical and it's really tangible. It's really fast crisis. Whereas a long-term climate crisis, you know, which is the cumulative of all the world's emissions, not just me literally coughing on my neighbour. You know, when it is broader, it's bigger, it's more, it feels more distant. Um, and I think that's why we haven't responded for so long. And I think it's also about the vested interest thing. I think, you know, in climate ch- with climate change. The, you know, we always remember that climate, you know, whatever it is, less than 100 com- um, companies have burned two thirds of the world's emissions. And so there's a much more vested interest that was fighting against us, you know, with COVID and um, with vaccines, you know, pharmaceutical companies made heaps of money from making vaccines, which was, which was yeah, obviously we need the vaccines. Um, and the pharmaceutical companies made lots of money. And so there was less, I guess, fundamental big resistance to it because it was so, you know, we know we need to do it. It was a big, it's really obvious, it's a pandemic. You have to lock down, you have to do it. Whereas with the climate crisis, um, you know, fossil fuel companies have been paying billions and billions and billions into climate denial for decades. You know, they knew, you've got to remember that oil rigs have been built with sea level rise into account for 40 years, right? So for 40 years, they've been building their sea level accounts knowing about climate change. So, um, so, so I think ultimately that's one of the biggest differences is the vested interest that have been fighting against it um, and the people power that, that is needed to, 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 you know, to get the responses that we needed. And not just the vested interest in those companies, also the vested interest in the carrying on essentially business as usual, which we see in the the the, the focus on you know, energy efficiency, which is mm-hmm. really let's not change anything except let's just do what we're doing, but just slightly more efficient. Exactly. Whereas you're saying that there's, there's, there's much bigger tools, things like building community. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a whole old, you know, ancient old individual versus systemic action, right? Um, you know, when the, again, when the, um, you know, fossil fuel companies found out, you know, they realized that climate denial wasn't another option. They pivoted towards individual responsibility and all this funding and all these campaigns went into focusing on making sure it was the individual's fault and not the system's fault, not the government's fault and not the fossil fuel company's fault, despite, you know, um, just the American military, you know, emitting more than whatever ninety, whatever percent of it is of the world's globe, and so, um, and so I think that, um, that that yeah, we we need to ultimately focus on systemic change because you know I can, I've got a friend for example, and she spends her whole her whole month I'm um, doing her plastic free is it July. 
plastic free month and she spends all her energy and all her you know all her out time is spent on being 100% plastic free and 100% everything and then she has no time to write a letter to the minister or to write a letter to her MP or to hold the government to account or to go and shut down an oil, uh, an oil rig or whatever it is um, and of course the system can just keep going right if we take out only little individual actions you know that's the best thing for the for the for, you know the bigger methods to happen and so the only way we're actually going to change and really we're going to actually respond to the climate you know properly is when we have you know mass people power that are forcing governments that are forcing corporations to act because until they're forced to do it you know they've shown over and over again that they're not going to so you would describe those things i've, I've forgotten who used the term necessary but insufficient we, we do need we've, we've managed to change the light bulbs we used to talk about changing the light bulbs being the the thing that we need to do and we've we've essentially done that but it's 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 not enough yeah, you know, it's not enough because it, it just it just puts the problem on individuals, right? The, you know, what is the, the the problem is not individuals using the wrong light bulbs, right? The problem is not poor communities who can't afford to eat vegan. The problem is, you know, the massive emitters that are emitting. You know, that's you look at the science. That's where the emissions come from. It doesn't come from individual people's light bulbs. It comes from big corporations. It comes from big business. It comes from big emitters. That's where the actual you know kind of emissions come from. And the whole argument that we need to be focusing on ourselves and focusing on our own individual actions it's just rubbish it's you know it's just all it's done is just put the put the burden onto people who are already you know struggling under the system who aren't being you know resourced properly who don't have enough money to get by day to day they're being told they have to do yet another thing and that somehow this climate change problem is actually their fault for, for you know for buying mcdonald's instead of buying vegan you know it's just you can't make this shit up really and it's the same as for the criticism of things like the the school strikes for climate you know the the criticism being that I bet those kids are wearing plastic raincoats and you know using their cell phones. Um, to which the response, of course, is that you you know you don't blame Edison or criticize Edison for inventing the light bulb by candlelight. That didn't invalidate the invention of the can of of the of the light bulb. One hundred percent. And you know there's a, there's another great little little uh, comic which is. Um, this you know there's this a uh, 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 peasant during the middle ages and while, while you know while working really hard and he says up to the lord you know um we should change society somewhat and the lord says yet you participate in society you know curious and it's like yeah of course you, you know you're participating in society we live in a society if we want to change it you know we're wanting to change it because we live in it now by definition that's why we want to change it because we live in it right if we didn't live in it now then we wouldn't need to change anything so it's it's just a completely ludicrous argument really so we've seen lots of changes in society over the last year or so what do you think will stick and perhaps more importantly what do you hope will stick um i I think people coming to the realization that that when they form community that when they form collectives you know when they fight for something that they can get it i think you know with lockdown it's shown that you know, when essential workers fought for proper, you know, for, you know, increased wages and stuff, when they dishonored charity, when the country realized, you know, who was really essential, I think COVID showed that, you know, people power worked and that we can, you know, make change. And I hope that in the future, you know, that I guess people power and, and people mobilization increases dramatically and that that will, I think, force governments to act and force governments to do the results we have. You know, we sh- it's already working in New Zealand. We see the emissions reduction plan, you know, a big new emissions plan is coming out. It's not enough, but it's showing that people are forcing the government to make change. And, yeah, I just, I really hope. And I, and I, I have a lot of hope. I think a lot of people are very pessimistic about how everything's going to go. But I have a lot of hope that it'll change, that it'll keep getting better because um, I think it's shown that it can. And as you said before, you know, when we start acting on climate, we start acting on all these other things as well. And, you know, and there's that awesome society that I want to live in in 2050, um, you know, will look nothing like it does today. Do you think it's given us a model for the the old saying of think global, act local? <clears throat> yeah, I think so. I think I think it has. And it's, it is interesting because, of course, the global aspect, right, climate change is a global issue and it's an issue for everyone. But as you say, the solution is localization, right? The solution is growing things locally, staying locally, not, you know, it's not actually feasible at the end of the day to be flying across the world anymore. We have to stay local. We have to you know, act. And when I say act locally, I don't mean, you know, the individualistic stuff we were talking about before. It's about you know, forming community bonds, you know, gathering together as a community, you know, going to your politicians, you know, or whatever it is, locking down a coal mine, but doing things community-based. Look, you know, and as, as soon as you look, talk to your neighbor and you establish bonds with them, you know, you're in relationship with them and then you have a, you know, you're far, far stronger together. You're more resilient for the, you know, climate emergencies that we're going to come, for the weather events we know are going to come. And, Yeah. 
what do you see as the the role of the the bad news? It, we were talking before about how that the the pandemic had a, a, a clear and immediate threat. Yeah, but but we know that that kind of stuff doesn't work on an individual basis. It's it's not about that. It's about seeing a a more hopeful future. Yeah, in the in the climate, the environment space, we do seem to. Uh, maybe we've gotten past the pictures of the polar bear on a shrinking ice floe, but we we do seem to have to 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 start all of our discussions with how bad it is before we can move forward. Yeah. Do you think we we could should perhaps learn from the let's focus on the positive view of the future? Yeah, I think so. I think that um, yeah, I, th- I think that there's 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 I think we 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 can't we need to be hopeful, but we can't you know be you know. Ho- Optimism, optimism, optimism. I think we need to accept that there is, you know, climate grief and there is grief for lockdown and for the, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that have died across the world from COVID that didn't have to, right? That only died because of, you know, in America, big business getting in the way and refusing to act on lockdowns and politicians having, having to act on it. And on climate change, you know, the communities that we know are being drowned, that we know that, you know, the Pacific Islands, graves that are going to be flooded by climate change, there is obviously real grief, right? And we need to allow space for that, for that grief and allow space for that loss. Um, and acknowledge that and sit with that and, and be able to be with that and not have to be wiping it over with positives into the future. But I think while acknowledging that sadness and acknowledging that grief and that anger, you know, I think, and, for, you know, for the people that let us down, I think we can channel that into something something that, that, that builds instead of breaks down and something that constructs instead of, you know, demolishes. And so I think we can Put that, put that grief, put that anger and that pain into, into something positive, into, you know, building a cleaner world, building, you know, putting thousands of clean jobs, you know, creating a better society, you know, creating more community, you know, being, becoming more resilient to climate change, dealing with that grief together. Um, I think that's, you know, that's the solution I, I, I go with at least. And that sort of, while acknowledging that pain, but still, you know, all, but challenging it when, when appropriate as well. So how do you see that balance between that, you know, the the transition town approach of getting on with building a better life versus at the other end the I don't know the extinction rebellion approach of of highlighting and 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 demanding system change. Where do you work in that kind of continuum? I think it's interesting how people so often say, you know, we need to move on, and they say that in so many issues. You know, we need to move on from race issues. You know, we, we need to move on from you know the the the, mar- the issues that happened with um. You know, colonization. We need to move on from that. We need to move on from the equity issues. We need to move on from this. But I think that, you know, you can't move on from the issue until it's dealt with. And until, you know, an issue is dealt with, whether that be racism in our society, whether that be sexism, whether that be the remnants of colonization, whether that be climate change, we, we can't deal with it until we move on. And so, I, yeah, I definitely push back strongly against people that say we need to forget it and move on. Because, yes, there is a, is a new space to move into, but that space. We can only move into that space of, you know, of, of building a better world, you know, by acknowledging um, what's happened in the past. And, you know, and I, I was talking to Mari Futurist the other day and she was talking about, you know, how Whakapapa isn't just about the past, it's about the, the, the future and, and the, the present. And she was talking about how actually, if, unless you acknowledge the Whakapapa, acknowledge the past, that's how you're going to be able to, you know, go into the future and look at the future and predict the future and understand the future. And so I think that we need to resist this whole, you know, move on, move on, move into a better world, move into a climate safe world. Stop, you know, just stop talking about this, these other stuff, because until we deal with them and until we solve them, we're not going to be able to, um, you know, to, to, to move together and be in, in solidarity in the, in the new world. And I think, yeah, I think that's something to be important of with that hopeful spirit in mind. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokudui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou, kotahuaho. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes, and I really hope wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining, and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique, and here making things better. Thank you. 
Now I know that for all of us we've had an incredibly intense time together over the last more than a year and for me being part of this show has helped me so much and having these five minutes with you in, in order to reframe and recalibrate and share what I hope can be helpful gifts with you to get us through this time being kind together has really really helped so thank you to Sam and the whole Blown Bubbles team for having me and thank you to all of you now we find ourselves here in a stunning beautiful Aughty Porty Eden in lockdown level two delta level two which is very exciting and in this realm of relative freedom I'm really enjoying exploring our beautiful Rohi, our beautiful city, exploring around and seeing all the places that I love that of course in lockdown level four I wasn't able to see and in lockdown level three I wasn't able to see. So it's a wonderful, wonderful pleasure and privilege of course to live here and to be able to do this and I'm so, so grateful. And to everybody who is finding themselves more restricted, I'm so sorry that it's like that for you right now. And I'm so grateful to you for all your hard work and keeping the rest of us safe. I'm so grateful to everybody in Aotearoa, New Zealand, working together as a dream team supreme of five million, but also to people all over the world, caring for each other, learning together how we can best get through this pandemic. I know that for me, it's a wonderful pleasure to revisit my childhood home, which of course is the absolutely glorious Otago Peninsula, and I've driven out there this morning. I've been really enjoying seeing all the places that I loved to be when I was a little girl, before I was whisked over the seven seas to Glasgow and London, and settled in the UK until I came back here at 18. And that sense of nostalgia, that sense of love, that sense of tūranga waiwai and connection, that sense of cherishing and treasuring our home, the place where we feel most safe, most familiar. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to be able to do again. So I really hope for you, you're able to find places and spaces that give you that treasured sense of who you are and help you remember all the happy times that you've had in your life. Whether it's looking at photos, whether it's being able to go to these places, whether it's playing songs, whether it's certain smells and tastes and foods, whatever it is, I really hope you're able to harness this power of memory. And of course, at this time, it's so crucial that we do our best to care for ourselves and each other as much as we can in so many different ways. And as a species, we have this gift of our consciousness. Our consciousness is so flexible and adaptable. And our consciousness wants to share. Our consciousness wants to learn. Our consciousness wants to connect. And our consciousness is co-evolving with all life in an infinite web. So how wonderful that we possess it and that we can enjoy it. My lovely partner has started working very early in the morning, so I had the opportunity to wake up very early in the morning and watch the sunrise, which was so beautiful. And now this will be my routine. I'm really excited to see what shifts and changes take place. So I really hope for you, if things are changing, that you can frame these changes in the way that works best for you and find new ways of doing, being, seeing, feeling that support you and encourage you to remember the star that you are. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakite. You are listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Adam Curry. Adam, one of the things that people have talked about the, uh, the, the lockdown and now the multiple lockdowns as being as, as a chance for a reset, a rahui. And some people have seen that as, yep, now we've had a rest, we can go back to business as usual. I suspect that you're not someone who would see benefit in business as usual. No, not at all, because we know that the business as usual is 
you know, is dam- is is causing harm to people. So no. <laughs> so what would you see? How would you describe it? What would you be looking for? More of a, I don't know, a regeneration. And, yeah, I think a regeneration. You know, a. Uh, 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 yeah, I mean, moving towards um, you know, decolonization, you know, looking at Mataki Mai and, you know, putting New Zealand in a, in a true, you know, Tetariti compliant, you know, country that, that acknowledges what's happened in the past and acknowledges the role of Māori in, in Aotearoa and acknowledges the role of Pākehā as Minahiri as guests um, in New Zealand. And, um, yeah, and we're, you know, we... We, you know, we, we, we can get around to where we, you know, work, work, you know, work and play and have fun and, um, you know, with low carbon transport or active transport, you know, and where we, you know, are close to our communities and we can grow food locally and we have, you know, cooperatives all over the place and we're not, you know, reliant on these 40-hour work weeks, you know, reliant on these corporations telling us what to do. We have strong unions. The only way we're going to get there is by, you know, strong unions building, you know, fighting for clean jobs, fighting for the jobs in the future because ultimately, you know, what do we need to do? There's a massive amount of work that needs to be done and we're going to need to stop, you know, doing exploitative work and, and fossil fuel work and moving into that. So I think the best way to get there is through, you know, thousands and thousands of clean, you know, good-paying jobs. So, you know, where everybody's promised a good-paying, clean job if they want one, you know, doing pest control and building things and doing caring and doing nursing work and having more teachers and, you know, having more psychologists. I mean, we, the only day I just – there was a big petition that was delivered to have more um, psycho – a clinical psychologist, because there's something like 12 people a year are being admitted that it's crazy. We're in desperate need of your mental health support. We're not getting it. So I think putting all these jobs, revaluing actually, instead of people going and, you know, trying to become, you know, doing, going to these big businesses and being eaten up by them, actually saying, hey, um, this is going to be these good union jobs, doing whatever you want, you know, building a better world together. And then ultimately, you know, once we have that, that buy-in from it, once people are part of that, I think that's how we will, you know, be in the world that I want to live in. I want to, you know, hopefully be able to bring kids into one day. Yeah, we heard quite a lot about shovel-ready projects, and we've talked on the show about the gender bias of the, the notion of shovel-ready. Also, that the the shovel-ready mm. is presupposing bulldozers, essentially. Um, but we haven't been able to come up with a better term. But maybe climate-ready would be a useful thing for us to be focusing on. Yeah, exactly. And you're you're right. You know, the, the way the way we We've been looking at these shovel-ready projects the government's putting massive amounts of money into are incredibly, um, you know, gendered. You know, we're not putting money into 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 number one. We're not making those those roles that women might want to go into accessible to women. But you know, roles that traditionally women do take up and non-binary people do take up in the workforce. You know, things like nursing, things like teaching, um, all the various jobs that are, are improperly funded. It's not you know, we need that too, right? We don't just need to be building, 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 right? It's about growth. We can't just be growing all the time. We need to actually be sitting back and. and actually you know we, we need to be having this many kids in the classrooms we can have more teachers we can have more nurses we can have better health systems you know all this stuff we can have instead of having to it's not just about growing and building 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 we do need to you know to have proper you know active and clean transport but it's not just about growing and growing it's about stopping and ending to the growth you know the kind of road report all that years ago said exactly what we needed to do what is it now 40 years later we still haven't done it and so i think that actually you know acknowledging that gender and that racial disparity in the, the, the government's jobs and in the way that shovel-ready projects have been done. And it's not just shovel-ready, right? It's about, you know, bigger than just that. Um, but I think that's something that if we focus on, we can, you know, make that fair for everybody. Because the more, you know, the more you, you exclude people, you're not actually going to be, you know, the process has to be as good as a result, right? If you, the process is not fair and equitable, you're not going to end up with a fair and equitable result. We're talking about the sort of the, the green jobs, the clean green jobs. And uh, to a large extent, you're, the work you're doing does fit into being one of those. Are you able to describe a couple of positive initiatives that you've you've been able to see to to, to show how that sort of transformation can be put into practice? Yeah, there's all sorts of initiatives. You know, you see um, <clears throat> people regenerating land. You know, there's there's a lot of you know farmers that are doing really truly regenerative projects. Um, you know that uh, you know doing that. Uh, um, so, you know, have a better safe climate future. You see communities looking after each other. There's the 
just near where I live, there's the Community Valley Project, actually, in Northeast Valley. You know, and I, I don't know if you've had someone in about that, but that's exactly the, the showing that what we need in the future, you know, a, a workshop where everybody can come in, contribute what they can, they have a bicycle to get around, it's a workspace anybody can come and share, there's not this whole me versus you, capitalism, how much are you paying, how much are you doing, you know, people contribute what they can, they give what they can, you know, people are trusted, um, you know, it's a place for people to come and organize, a place for people to come and meet, to share Kai, you know, those sort of projects, right, that are building, whether it be tree planting, whether it be health thing, putting outcomes, whether it be, you know, the aunties, um, you know, whether it be homeless shelters, whether it be women's women's refuge, we see all around the country people, you know, forming these collectives and, and doing this money. But it, all, what we need is actually government support for it to happen and to you know to scale it up because we do need to massive scale up these projects. And often, you know, these people are doing it off the you know the skin of their backs, right? While you know businesses and consultants are are paid millions and millions, right? So it's about really looking at those priorities and actually who is doing this really essential work, this really important work, and how are we valuing it. Yeah, as you said before, that one of the things that maybe we, we could hope would come from the pandemic is that that rethink about what's essential. Yeah, exactly. You know, we know we know now that essential workers are the people that are physically on the front lines and getting paid the lowest. I mean, why are we paying? It's crazy, right? If you think, why are we paying the essential workers the lowest of everyone? You know, it's just it's ludicrous. And I think it's really actually made us forced to look at our priorities, make society be independent of that. And it's put a spotlight on like, are those business executives really? You know, is there you know eight million, four million dollar salary a year? You know, why are they getting paid that while essential workers are getting paid nothing and putting themselves at risk and dying to protect our communities? And it's the same as you know this lockdown um you know last lockdown coal mines couldn't operate but one of the big differences is this lockdown um in the orders you know the big coal mines like bathurst could operate and so while you know people supermarket workers minimum paid people are being you know they're like going to work and the rest of us are staying home to save lives and protect our communities these coal mines are expanding and they're actually not even allowed to operate during lockdown they're even allowed to do what's called you know quote maintenance which means you know preparing to escalate prepare to you know ramp up coal production so you know, so we need to remember that while not everyone is part of this so-called team of five million, you know, some people are out to further their own agendas. And um, Naomi Klein has done a really good series on disaster capitalism and COVID coronavirus capitalism. You know, we were moving into this whole, I think in terms of, you know, isolation, we were moving more and more online on our computers and we were moving more into this sort of, you know, relying on technology all the time. And I think we weren't realizing it because it was happening slowly. It's like the crab in the boiling pot or the frog in the boiling pot, right? But then suddenly we, we're locked down and forced home and first to walk, walk 100% online, 100% separate, just staring at a screen all day. And, you know, and we actually, I think luckily we, we thought, hang on a minute, this is not how I want to be spending my life. Is this how I want to be spending, you know, our workforce? Is this what we should be doing with our lives? No. And so, um, and so I think lockdowns forced us to reimagine those these things that were maybe slowly happening to us. I think it's happened all, all at once and it's forced people to actually stand up and actually say, hey, no, I'm going to take a stand about this. I'm going to take a stand about it. Uh, this really isn't acceptable. Let's squeeze in the second of your music choices. Let's have Pete Seeger's Which Side Are You On? Why this one? Um, so that's an old union song, an old coal mining union song, um, and it's actually one that we've used a lot in our. So that's that was written by the coal miners in America, um, without they were being exploited. And it's about, and I guess the reason we use it so much here in Aotearoa and the Sunrise Movement and um, the climate movement that originated that came up with the Green New Deal in America, um, uses it a lot, is because it's about saying the coal workers and the climate activists are fighting for the same thing. Um, you know, we you know coal. We know that coal miners are you know being exploited and are working in safe conditions. And aren't being paid enough, and we want those good jobs for those coal miners. And I think it's a really good song. We sung it actually in Dunedin recently at the Otago Regional Council um, offices, where they were choosing whether to reduce their fares to one dollar or to increase bus fares. They ended up in the neutral with two dollars. But um, we stood outside and we held big signs and we sung, "Which side are you on?" So the councillors had to decide. You know, they had to follow one side and walk into one door of the building or walk on the other side. You know, which side are they on? So it's something that's really relevant to us here in Dunedin and something that's relevant to the climate justice movement around the world, I think. So it's a really valuable song. Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? They say in Harlan County, there are no neutrals there. You'll either be a union man or a thug for J.H. Blair. Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? Tell me, which side are you on? 
My daddy was a miner, and I'm a miner's son. He'll be with you, fellow workers, until this battle's won. Tell me which side are you on? Which side are you on? Sing it! Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Oh, workers, can you stand it? Tell me how you can. Will you be a lousy scab or will you be a man? Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Tell me which side are you on? Which side are you on? some questions to end the show with and not very much time so we should have to be quick what is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years i think one of the biggest um it was a partial success but was the the the, the zero carbon act i mean obviously we ended up with something weak and something not good enough but it showed that you know a, a bunch of people can write an act write you know can write their own piece of legislation and with enough people power can push it through and the politicians while immediately ignoring them eventually haven't have it i think that's one of the biggest successes another success was the other day where we um did a bunch of um you know um a big action out for about his coal mine and we uh, one of the ones um in in um colgate near canterbury and we um so we shut down a coal mine and did a big action, a big campaign there, and then a couple months ago and a couple of weeks after the action, they actually decided to shut down. And it shows that I think they, you know, they like to make us feel small, but ultimately at the end of the day, you know, people power wins and in secret, um the big you know, corporates are actually terrified of us at the end of the day. So we are writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are most definitely in that team. What's the superpower that's got you into the mansion? Um, I, I think I think I think everyone is is a, is, a, is a superhero in different ways. I think that I think that the thing the thing for me the thing that 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 I love and the thing that empowers me is just community organising. Is talking to people. I love talking to people. I love knocking on doors. You know, listening to people's stories. And because you know, often you'll knock on someone. You'll if you hear them on the street in the public, they'll sound the post to you. This, you know, cold or whatever. But when you go and you sit down with them and you have a cup of coffee, you know, and when you have proper fanatanga and when you have put relationships at the beginning of everything you do, that's what I love. I guess it's relationship building because if you have relationship building and if you focus on that, you can do anything really. Even if you fundamentally disagree, I think that I think I think that with people, I think there's two types of people, right? I think there's there's people that you fund this. I think the disagreement ultimately people what matters is people's lived experiences and people's internal views. You know, I think a big coal coal mining company doesn't matter what they think. Their least interest is in continuing to, to support the status quo. It's not a matter of opinion. I think often we put this into a matter of opinion or me versus you. You know, whereas in reality. You know, it's about actually our lives. If we realize that we're on the same side and the unions and climate activists are on the same side and we're both working for good jobs that are clean, that are going to go be able to go into the future, I think that, yeah, it's about working for that common ground. And I think often extrinsic values are activated, right? So money or power or scaredness or being terrified or all these extrinsic stuff. And I think when you talk to people, you're able to activate the intrinsic values, those really fundamental values of compassion, of kaiteki tanga, of you know, environmental stuff. And I think that's what, by activating those, that's how you talk to people that's how you change minds and, and win hearts so i introduced you as a climate justice activist so this question might be redundant but i'm going to ask it anyway do you consider yourself to be an activist yes <laughs> have you all have you always um 
That was my advice. I don't know. I think advice is a funny word. I think I think that I think that people who have the privilege to be to be able to do activism have the responsibility to. You know, I was lucky enough. I don't have to work several jobs just to to look after my family, and I don't have kids that I have to look after all the time. And so you know, I have a responsibility to stick up for those people who aren't able. Right? If you're working, you know, many shifts at, at a Mac as well, trying to bring up a family while having maybe having to send money home to the Pacific Islands or whatever, you're not able to do activism. You're not able to fight for those union jobs. You're not able to fight for whatever it is. So I think the rest of us have a have a responsibility to be activists and to you know to stick up for those people who aren't necessarily don't have the power or the ability to stick up for themselves so what motivates you what gets you out of bed in the morning uh, people i think people i love people i love talking to people i love being with people um and i think just watch i think like it's also about the i think the thing about campaigning right is that it's not just about the end goal i think people are focused on the end goal but along the process we get volunteers come who maybe were feeling really isolated feeling really you know alone they felt like they were a bit powerless, they couldn't do anything, and they come together as part of a campaign. It doesn't matter if you win the campaign or not, and they say, they, yes, actually, my voice matters. I can do something. I have a community of people that care about these same issues I care about, you know, and they find people. They find people that also care about the issues, and they're able to identify and collectivize and, you know, feel they have a purpose and feel that their voice matters and their voice is really valued, and them as a human being is not defined by what they produce. It's just defined by who they are. Um, and I think yeah, that's what, watching people have that awakening and have that feel that power is definitely what motivates me. That's the best part of activism, I think. Best part of organising. So, what challenge or opportunity are you looking forward to in the next year or two? I think the emission reduction plan is coming up, so I think it's going to be a big focal point on you know how we respond as a movement, how we hold the government to account to make sure it's really strong. We know we're going to need to go beyond it. Budget 22 is going to be, you know, we're going to need massive, massive investment in the clean future that we need. It's going to have to be, you know, absolutely unprecedented. It's going to have to be just like COVID was, COVID response was unprecedented. It's going to have to be the same way. Um, and so I think I'm looking forward to that, and I'm also looking forward to I think the movement. Um, you know, I think becoming more intersectional. I think we we too often we split these issues into silos. You know, you're fighting for gay rights, or you're fighting for the climate, or you're fighting for the unions, or you're fighting for or for your workers, or you're fighting for whatever it is, right? If we do, until we actually collectivize and build these broad coalitions that fight together, um, you know, we, we're not going to win. And so I think that's going to be the biggest challenge is actually identifying these values. You know, making sure your ass are intersectional. You know, too often, you know, the climate movement has asked for um. You know, for um, you know, things that aren't actually good for indigenous people and aren't actually good for vulnerable communities, or um, you know, with the conversion therapy, we've got to be thinking about um, you know, not increasing, you know, tracking even more people in those cages we call prisons. So I think it's about being intersectional in all the campaigns that we have, um, and I think that's going to be one of the biggest challenges, but also yeah. the biggest opportunities as well. Exactly. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Advice for our listeners. Um, no, I think just the issues that, that whatever issues you're passionate about, you know, if you're passionate about it, someone else is going to be too. And so I think, yeah, actually, like often we, we're busy and we, it's too hard to find people and we leave it alone. But I think yeah, the advice would just be to get involved in whatever whatever those issues are that really practice you, you know, support those people in community um, that are really, you know, the same things about that they're about. And really just, you know, you know, collectivize and form groups and join groups because, again, there are so many people that are about the same issues and you know, there's no need to feel isolated and concerned by ourselves when so many other people feel the same way and that we can actually make that change together. Adam, thank you very much for joining me. That's all right. Thank you for having me. Enjoy the rest of the day.
listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Feels Like Summer by Childish Gambino. I am Summer Man in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I have been joined today by Adam Curry in Dunedin. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.